I feel like a lot of healing has actually come from the protocol of letting myself rest. Mm Because I think so many people who end up with health conditions, kind of like we both relate to, imbalances, it's related to that adrenaline. And so we are addicted to the endorphins. Hello and welcome back to the Your Great Podcast with your host, Yumi Tammond. I created this space for those seeking inspiration and tools on their healing path because when I was on my healing journey 13 years ago, when shit hit the fan, I was just lonely and on a journey that was super scary. There's nothing like being healthy and what feels like suddenly not healthy. What I have learned over the many years of having a nutrition practice and working with thousands of people all over this beautiful world is that mostly, unless there is a acute or chronic exposure to toxins of some sort, that illness doesn't happen overnight, kind of like a rock star who suddenly hits the the charts at number one. Usually that rock star has worked for 10, 20 years on their craft to suddenly get that famous and that big. Illness is similar. It's been this thing that has been there for a long time and poor habits and lifestyle choices and diet are often just quietly feeding the imbalance. The body is incredible at creating enough homeostasis that we can survive, but to thrive is a different story. So if you just feel okay and you feel like you're just surviving, then this podcast is for you because I don't believe we are here to just survive and deal with horrible symptoms all the time like painful periods and IBS and autoimmune disorders. We are here to thrive should we know how to take care of our incredible human body. Today I am joined by Dr. Laura Gouge. She's a licensed naturopathic physician with nearly a decade of experience and has a specialty in mental health and ADHD. She currently has a virtual private practice. She and I have been working together on the Bean Protocol for her own health goals and imbalances, and she's just phenomenal and wonderful. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I am currently working on a live 12-week group coaching course with the Bean Protocol. It'll be starting up sometime in June. So if you're interested in joining this incredible group in healing and learning how to heal, you're amazing and and support, not just heal, but support your human body to be healthy today, tomorrow, and always, please sign up for my newsletter. And I do have a wait list going. So if you're interested, go ahead and sign up for that. I hope to see you in the live group. Hello, Laura. Welcome to the Your Great Podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation today. Uh, You and I have been working together since about June of 2020, and it's been incredible on so many levels. I feel like when we hop on the phone together, it's this shared wealth of information. And also your feedback on the Bean Protocol as a naturopathic doctor is really valuable to me because sometimes I feel as a nutritionist, I'm working in this little bubble of the Bean Protocol. So to actually get feedback on it is really wonderful. 
Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to do this today. And I also love our conversations about the Bean Protocol, where we can really nerd out about all <laughs> the aspects of it and what, what's working and how we're using it in the real world with both of our clients. Yeah. And also the, because you're so skilled in supplements that I always love hearing how you have personalized the protocol over time and that intersection between food first and the assistant of supplements as needed, which is kind of the journey I feel like I've been taking with you. Definitely. Definitely. I have not gone fully supplement free as Karen often advises, although I have reduced the supplements that I take and that I recommend to people. I really, I think food first is the the like truest way to achieve great health. Do you find pushback from clients when you just want them to do a food first approach? Do you find that people are like, no, 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 like, shouldn't I take a supplement or something? Do you find that kind of any pushback on a food first approach? I think that people are generally coming to healthcare practitioners looking for a quick fix. And whether they're looking for a medication or in the case of coming to a naturopath, a lot of times we get accused of something called green allopathy, which is where we're using supplements in place of medications. And so people do come to us really wanting, if I'm not going to take a medication, I want a supplement that's going to work exactly as well and just as fast and I want to get fixed. And so I do feel like people come in and there's a skepticism around diet and there's a hesitation of it being a long game of thinking, I'm going to have to do this for months, the rest of my life. That sounds hard. I think there's often a doubt as to whether or not they can do it. I try to find a middle road with people where I don't refuse supplements, especially if someone's coming in and they're really suffering and there might be something that could help ease the pain, even if it is a so-called band-aid, as some supplements and medications are. I'll use them as minimally as possible to see if we can provide some relief but really having conversations about going deeper of what can we do with diet and lifestyle like around sleep and stress and movement and getting outside and changing the light in our environment. How can we use all of those different factors to bring the body back into balance? And I think when I find that middle of the road approach, people are like, okay, all right, I'm safe. Because usually there's like, there's a sense of anxiety. Like I, I want to feel better fast. And so I'm able to meet people in the middle. And we do diet and sometimes use supplements or even medications in the short term. And and I think that's a really valuable, they're valuable tools to have. I see them as tools. And I also see them as bridges, bridges between where someone is, if they're really behind the eight ball, depending on what they're dealing with, it can bridge that gap, especially if there's such a deep nutrient deficiency that you know you couldn't eat enough of X, Y, or Z to bring up that level you know, and so I think that it is a powerful tool. I also have seen thousands of clients and they come to me on just a laundry list of supplements. And I'm just like, like, okay, that affects the liver, that affects the kidneys. Like we're talking about an overload. I think it's a, a masterful approach to be able to recognize that food is one of the most powerful levers that we pull and lifestyle and light and sleep. These are tools that we have, that you have in your belt. And doubly, I think one of the downfalls of where the wellness industry is right now is over supplementation. Like just because things are generally recognized as safe doesn't mean, I mean, I've never seen someone come in on 10 or 15 or 20 supplements. They're not coming in saying, 
I feel amazing. Like they're coming in because they're taking all these things. And as I, I try to get into each one, there's they have no idea if it's helping. I've had cases of taking people off their supplements. They get better. Like that alone fixed the problem. And so I do appreciate the bean protocol and really questioning supplements. Not to say that I don't use them, but really thoughtfully using them and knowing why I'm using it, what exactly I hope it's going to do, how long we're going to use it. We're not just randomly like throwing spaghetti at the wall, hoping something sticks and recognizing that there is potential for harm. You know, I think we do kind of overdo supplements and I know I've been guilty of it where I just kind of was kind of looking for the next thing that might possibly help me and then ending up with drawers of supplements and not getting the results I was looking for, kind of feeling like it was a circle of, oh, I'd get a little better, but still be the same. You know, it would never be come to full resolution. And so when I use supplements, I'm really monitoring how the person's doing, whether it's myself or other people, and thinking critically about the long game with it. Yeah. And that's what I've loved about working with you is I can see that you're very conscientious about that. And you know, I was in school trained to use supplements to a certain extent, but I always felt like my deepest understanding and my deepest well is food and how to lever, how to use these levers to help with the detox systems, the natural detox systems, to not force anything and to use supplements really sparingly because I was the first person who saw in myself the ill effects of using methylated vitamins where when they found that I had MTHFR and I was really sick, they were like, oh, we'll put you on these methylated Bs and folate and all this stuff. And I just had adrenaline through the roof. So when I started working with Karen and she's like, yeah, that's, it's going to release a lot of adrenaline for you. I was like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> like, like that was like the worst thing I could have done because I went from being hyperbolic to like out of this world. That makes sense, honestly. So how did you find the bean protocol and what was the call to do it? Was it just sheer fascination? I don't remember exactly when I heard of it, but it was definitely through the 2B Magnetic podcast where I think many people find it. Mm-hmm. And I heard about it and I'll be honest, I was a hell no. I was curious. <laughs> like, so I kind of Googled it and looked into it and I read all the foods you couldn't have. And at the time, so just part of my history is being somebody who in the past, I would say I've never been truly sick, but I also was not truly well. From the age of eight, I had the, all the mystery symptoms. Like I would fit in that bucket of the mystery illness that doesn't totally make sense. So IBS was a really key part of my picture, which is with a lot of stomach pain, nausea, hormonal issues like painful periods, ADHD, difficulty sleeping. And I actually really appreciated when I did first learn about the bean protocol, the way Karen described a lot of it, talking about excess adrenaline and excess hormones or something in it that made sense. So I was intrigued. I kept reading about it. But I also was following a modified low FODMAP diet at the time, which if anyone listening is familiar with that, it basically says like, you're never going to eat beans again. (laughs) And I had specific instances of eating beans, usually kind of not by choice, like at a potluck or when I first started dating my husband, I remember being served beans by his family and just being in this excruciating pain. So I was like, this... This is a, this is insane. This is insane. I could never do this. <laughs> but I was familiar and I had listened to the podcast. And just as a healthcare practitioner, I was fascinated by it. So I was, I really was on my radar and I was, I was kind of watching. I was following along. I was listening. 
I even looked up the mechanisms that we're talking about around the bile and and enterohepatic circulation. And then I think it was around the end of 2021 that I got so burned out. I was the medical director for a mental health clinic during the pandemic. And our, I went from seeing, you know, I had a busy schedule when the pandemic started and I feel like it tripled. Like I got booked out for months. I had a wait list. I had people in crisis who I couldn't get in unless I was willing to work after hours and on the weekend. So I was just burned out mm. and I was stressed out and I started to have weird symptoms and they checked my thyroid and I had borderline hyperthyroid numbers. And if anyone is familiar with that, hyperthyroidism can be a really serious disease where your thyroid is basically going too fast, your metabolism is going too fast. And I was having symptoms of that. I was getting these hot flashes. I was stressed out. My hair was falling out. I also had no energy. I had this sort of like wired but exhausted feeling all the time. Couldn't focus. I was totally overdoing caffeine, but it wasn't helping. You know, I was just trying to have energy to get through the day. And I was having blood sugar crashes. So it just, I just didn't feel good. So despite that whole history of IBS and painful periods and all the things, it was actually this period that just had me say, I have to try this. And I think one of the things that had me particularly curious is I had just remembered one little moment on one of the many podcasts I'd listened to where Karen mentioned having had hyperthyroidism. And I hope I even remember that correctly, but I had that in my head is like, okay. So she had while, her thyroid taken out. She had Graves disease. Yeah. Okay. So yep. that, so I was right. Mm-hmm. And I was just totally terrified to go down that road. And I was like, I'll do anything I can. And so I started the bean protocol while I was getting worked at. Ended up being negative for the antibodies for Graves disease. I just had a very low TSH and they suspected it was due to stress. And so ever since then, my thyroid has been normal but always a little fast. Like I kind of, my thyroid tends to run a little bit fast. But so I committed pretty much overnight to go into the bean protocol. And I just was, I committed that I would start slow. So I started with a quarter cup of beans and it definitely made my stomach hurt in the beginning. You know, I was coming from a totally low FODMAP lifestyle. And so I started with a quarter cup, but I would just eat them and I was a little bloated and it was fine. I tried psyllium husk in the beginning. I tried the, the powdered form and just immediately gagged. So I was originally like, this isn't for me. I eventually did come back to it and I actually love husk, but I only knew about it in the powder form. I think I put way too much in, you know, so I just, I like went too hard, too fast. So husk was a no. So I just started with black beans. I'd read that was the, the simplest and, and went overnight, no sugar. I already wasn't really eating gluten or dairy and I started tapering off the caffeine because I was going hard with that and I'm really sensitive to it. So I said, okay, I'm going to like really taper. It was actually very sweet. My husband, who was just my boyfriend at the time, said he would do it with me and we committed to do a hundred days, no cheating and see what, how we felt at the end of a hundred days. It was during the pandemic. So it was pretty easy not to have temptation. Yeah, we went all in and it was actually pretty remarkable because I felt better pretty quickly. Like there was definitely an adjustment of cravings. You know, I definitely missed sugar. 
definitely was miserable. You know, I wasn't sure what was the caffeine taper and what was adjusting to the bean protocol. It seemed like there was just an overall, not great, but I don't think I could have felt worse than how I felt before. So I kept going with it. And I did notice, like, even within days, I was like, my skin looks good. Like, and I, I want to be clear, like, that wasn't my organ of weakness. Like, my skin was never where I man- manifested health imbalances, but it was like, there was this glow to my skin all of a sudden. And I remember having a period and like not one pimple broke out. And I was like, oh, there's something, something going on here that's working. And so there were some quick things that happened that were motivating. And I feel like I was able to, to increase the beans pretty quickly. I was able to, you know, just keep adding them. I started in small quantities, but it was pretty quick that I was eating a quarter cup three times a day and then up to a cup. And I'll be honest, I always had a little bit of bloating with beans. And I'll say even to this day, I still get, I never had that total miracle of just being like panacea life, but I just worked with it. And I don't know exactly why. I will say over the last two years, things like I've gotten COVID twice. Both times I've had some long COVID symptoms and both times it seemed like there was some inflammation in my gut. So for a while, I would just go back to husk and kind of keep it simple and then bring beans back after a couple of months. So I think there have been some, the body's not static. And so I've seen how that's changed for me. But I have really just tried to make a commitment that no matter what I do, I stick with the soluble fiber. Like over the last two years, I have not exclusively been sugar-free or caffeine-free or, you know, I have definitely indulged in things that are not on the protocol. But I really tried to keep a steady, consistent 80 to 90 percent high fiber, soluble fiber every day, no matter what, no matter if I'm traveling, no matter what I do. And keeping like the, the basics of the protocol of having a protein, having a vegetable and keeping that balance no matter what. So that it's not something I'm completely like on and off of or falling on, falling off. And it took me some time, like some ups and downs, I think, to find that consistent place. What would you say is the biggest health benefit of being on the bean protocol? And what I hear is that for someone who isn't sick, but isn't well, I feel like what you're doing is kind of great because it's the foundation. I feel like the foundation of our health in cases like yours where you're not sick, you're not a sick person, right? You're not a sick person. I talk about this a lot. Like a healing protocol has more guidelines, let's just call them, than a maintenance protocol. Because to get better takes a Herculean effort in, you know, in supporting the body. Because so often when we're unwell, we're trying to live in a way that we're not unwell. And so we're constantly working against our body's greatest capacity to heal, I feel like. So to me, a healing protocol is very different than a maintenance protocol. I would say in a lot of ways, it sounds like you're on a maintenance where you're like, you know, you're taking care of yourself and you're making these food choices three times a day and getting your soluble fiber in. But you also, so maybe it's like a a 90-10 or an 80-20 kind of vibe. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely follow a maintenance protocol and more of the, I think you call it the longevity plan. Yep. Yeah. And... I'd something that over the last couple of years, I've cycled in and out of some healing protocols as I needed them. And as my body's changed or symptoms have flared, there's times that I've been a lot stricter. And then times that I have 
been more flexible with the the protocol. Also for me, I think following it strictly was really beneficial in the beginning because I think had I done the 80-20, I don't think I ever would have gotten full benefit because what I do know is when I did the first 100 days, my stomach stopped hurting completely. Which while I did still have the occasional bloat, my stomach just did not hurt. And what I noticed was, I remember we took a trip shortly after the 100 days and with traveling, I had some sugar and I remember the stomach pain came back. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't really unpleasant. But I would imagine for a lot of people who kind of tend towards that adrenaline kind of personality, they probably would never have the stomach pain go away if you're on an 80-20 because when the soluble fiber is mixing with all that caffeine and sugar, that it would not feel the most comfortable. Like some healthy people could probably do it, but I wasn't one of those people. So for me, I think to get the full benefit of strong energy, really healthy hormones in the sense of getting my PMS to pretty much go away, sleeping well, not having abdominal pain or IBS symptoms. I had a lot of nausea. And so that's something that will kind of ebb and flow when I've had COVID, but in general during the bean protocol, resolved that very quickly. Did you have it nausea went, when the, in the burnout? Was that part of your symptoms? It's it's honestly been part of my chronic symptoms for years that was okay. unexplained. And I had the whole conventional GI workout, the colonoscopy and the endoscopy. And I don't know why I would get that chronic nausea. But I mean, my theory is that it had something to do with the bile and something my body was recycling because it did seem to be around hormones Mm -hmm. that nausea would come up around ovulation and before my cycle. And so like it was like my body's doing something and and psyllium husk is the only thing I ever really found that really seemed to prevent it and even sometimes resolve it. I mean, depending on how bad it was, sometimes I mean, sometimes I would use like over-the-counter anti-nausea medications. But in general, that the psyllium husk and just the diet overall was very helpful for that. Amazing. And I remember you also, you had two weeks of PMS symptoms and then cramps. Has the protocol helped at all in that department? And like how many, days of, how many days of PMS now? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of months where there's none. Awesome. Like none at all. And I find that if I'm being a little too loose with my protocol, some PMS will kind of creep back in. I do still get cramping. And I mean, part of just like my health journey is that there's been a long question mark of whether or not I have endometriosis. And so I honestly wonder if some of the cramping is potentially more structural than directly hormonal just because doing the protocol. And even when I've been, you know, 98% 98% compliant on the protocol. The cramps got a lot better, but didn't 100% go away. I always wonder if, because I do have clients who, when they're really strictly on the protocol, their pain totally goes away. I'm one of those people, by the way, but I I never, I would say I'm probably more of a 95.5. Like, I'm just being honest. Like, I'm, I'm a 95.5. Most of the time, 100%er here and there, 95er. But my painful periods went away. And and there's a part of me that wonders, and I'm curious what you think of this concept, that maybe it's not always hormones and that maybe it is the amount of inflammatory cytokines that are coming up 
because it's a contraction, right? Like we're having the contraction to release the lining of our, of our uterus, right? Yeah. And so in that contraction, two things come to mind. One, is it, is it simply because the lining got too thick because of estrogen? And it is a overproduction of hormones, stress, working out too much, caffeine, sugar, whatever, who knows, right? That sugar, that all of those components together compounding the problem. Or is it a combination of the lining too thick and the inflammatory cytokines, which we do have come up every month, are higher because of those other factors? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's absolutely the inflammation. And I think it does depend person to person because I do think there's people where the hormones are the key factor. I will say from only own self-experimentation and looking into it, I've never had an abnormal hormone test. Nobody does. Right. I've never, I've never had one. And even to the point that some of the practitioners I've worked with said, you know, I really think this could be endometriosis. And, you know, the reason I haven't pursued further, honestly, further treatment is just that the next step would be surgery. And since it hasn't been confirmed on an MRI, it would be had an MRI and it was normal. So it would be more exploratory surgery. So I'm still just exploring that as whether or not that would be a next step. But I 100% think it's more related to inflammation. And I've read so many different theories around what's happening with that. But the, like, if it were endometriosis, the process of just those lesions existing is inflammatory. And then often there's more inflammation in the gut. There can be inflammation in the uterus itself. There's more likelihood of having bacterial, like increases in abnormal bacteria, which can secrete inflammatory molecules. So I think there's a lot of different things that should be going on. But yeah, my theory is that it's more inflammatory. And so it is where with certain supplements that I have had success with, I do still use some anti-inflammatory supplements. And I do feel like I can notice tremendous relief, like using, I use a good quality CBD mm-hmm. and that has been, I mean, it's really night and day with the period pain for me. I will use whole foods like ginger and turmeric, but in more medicinal doses where I'll juice them and take little, little shots of those. And just also just being really mindful of antioxidants. Sometimes I'll supplement with them, but I do try to do more, get those more with food because I think that with inflammation comes oxidative stress. And so the more antioxidants we can get, the better our body will be. And so I try very hard to get my colorful fruits and veggies and of course beans because they are an absolutely fantastic source of antioxidants. I mean, would it be fair to say that beans are kind of a superfood? Hello, people. (laughs) All of these expensive superfood, all y'all need to do is be eating your beans. The cheapest longevity <laughs> food on the planet. Hello. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They are the the unappreciated superfood in the grocery store. I know. And I love all these people like pushing these really expensive superfoods. And I'm like, oh, hello, beans. Hello. Anybody coming through? Broccoli, beans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they're the, they're the cheapest, most accessible, most fantastic superfood in See, the grocery I store. I had a ton of inflammation. Which makes sense because, you know, I was like a three night a week drinker where I'd go out for a couple of drinks, three nights a week, th- you know, Thursday's the night and then Friday. Okay. And then Saturday. Sure. Why not? And so I feel like a big part of my story of these really knockdown, drag out, painful periods where I'd get nauseous and be on the bathroom floor 
were really this combination of inflammation and overproduction of hormones. So when I, the longer I was on the protocol, the more it just kind of waned over time. And I would have the occasional drink, even while I was still, you know, healing the hormone side, I would have an occasional drink and it didn't seem to throw me sideways. I'm basically sober now where I don't, a couple of times a year, I'll partake in an alcoholic beverage. But I've noticed that the more I manage inflammation, the better my cycles are. Like I just had an, a checkup with my OBGYN and I said, yeah, I just had a, my first like, like strange period. And she's like, how old are you? And I'm 47. She's like, and you just had your first one? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, okay, that's crazy. Usually by the time of 45, you'll start noticing wonky periods. And I was like, no, this is my first one where I was like, it's not 28 days. What's going on? <laughs> so I think the protocol has this incredible longevity to supporting the hormones in a beneficial way. But I do think some of us, you, me, my daughter, a lot of my clients have this other component of inflammation at play. And I think also we haven't really talked about the fact that histamines possibly are, are at, at play here as well, because histamines, tell us how histamines come up around our cycle. Well, histamine <laughs> is a whole rattle that I've gone down over the last year and a half, both from my own experiences and then also from what a lot of my patients are experiencing. And it really seems like with COVID, histamine has become a lot more prominent. Like I don't understand the entire mechanisms, but that the virus of COVID impacts the mast cells. And so a lot of what we see in long COVID, not for 100% of people, but for a lot of people, there's histamine issues. And so I was one of those people where both times I had COVID, a lot of the symptoms I was experiencing seemed histamine related. And I was able to confirm that because when I took antihistamines, it got better. And everything from brain fog to fatigue to really bad nausea, all of it was alleviated with antihistamines. And so looking back, I think I always, I probably have a genetic sensitivity to histamine because while I wasn't an allergic child, I always had kind of weird histamine symptoms. Like my face would flush red when I would eat foods from the prepared section, like the frozen prepared section of Trader Joe's. Like I couldn't explain why, but I would just get these kind of weird reactions. Or I remember every now and then my eyes would swell, like not like puffy eyes where you didn't get enough sleep, but literally like my the orbit of my eyes would just swell up for some reason. And I think a lot of the IBS and stomach pain and things like that that I had were related to histamine. So histamine can really affect every possible system in our body from neurological symptoms like headaches and vertigo ringing in our ears, the sinus pressure, runny nose, common seasonal allergies, heartburn, reflux, abdominal pain, even painful periods, fatigue, joint pain. Like it can show up in so many ways. And I know that's a big list that can also be impacted by a lot of other systems. But for some people, histamine is really the, the missing link. And I became interested in it when I had symptoms that just kept lasting after COVID. And I noticed how much antihistamines were helping me. And so I was you know, not wanting to continue those. I looked into it. But histamine does fluctuate with our hormones. And so we do tend to get a rise in histamine that's the, the highest right before our menstrual cycle, which is where a lot of women get symptoms like feeling really tired, getting brain fog, ADHD gets worse. Of course, headaches are 
very common around that time. Some people also get this around ovulation, but the histamine connection is real. And so for me, after I had COVID, I think that's one of the reasons I was a little more sensitive to beans because I was doing things like batch cooking my beans. And one thing around histamine is that it it's produced when foods age and that includes leftovers. So what I started to do was I would just batch cook smaller quantities. So I would try to eat them within 36 hours. I did less canned beans because as much as I love the convenience of canned beans, canned beans have higher amounts of histamines. And I just got a little more mindful around, there are some very, very healthy foods that are high histamine. So I just got more mindful around those. Like I took a break from avocado. I took a break from nuts. I took a break from fermented foods. All those foods are really healthy. I would include those in any healthy person's diet. And I've actually been able to bring all of those back into my diet. But for a while, I took a break. And that was helpful just to just to help me feel better faster. I did like a bit of a modified low histamine diet. I never was strict or perfect with it, but I did notice triggers for a while. And so just by taking that break, I was able to get a lot of relief. And I think that's such a great point that you bring up because I meet so many people who are living on low FODMAP diets. And these diets were not meant for us to live on because you're you're giving up so many incredible nutrients that your body actually needs. So they're actually transitional diets to build back the gut, to create tolerance, to slowly push the tolerance out. And I think dropping back on high histamine foods, especially if you are noticing the rise around your cycle, is perfectly acceptable. And then to bring them back in to tolerance, right? So I think the point you make is it's incredible because there's so much fear that drives our choices. And because symptoms can be so uncomfortable, it's easy to just get stuck in this fear pattern of, you know, I'll just stay in this little little lane and I won't go outside of it. But really, that's where you create that resilience is starting to go outside of it and take stuff out and bring stuff back in. And, ha- and, and kind of with that curiosity, obviously, like you're you're exercising a deep well of knowledge to kind of move the pieces on the board and then be able to move them back in to the benefit of your entire body, right? I lived on a low FODMAP diet for maybe three years. And while I'm grateful that it was one of the first things to bring relief for the symptoms I was having, because they were severe, I think it did damage to my microbiome. I really do. Just because it was restrictive and there were so many healthy foods I wasn't eating. And I think if there were one resource that I would recommend to almost anyone who's really nerdy and curious about gut health, it would be to read the book Fiber Fueled by Dr. Will. I always mispronounce he's his great. name. And I'm sorry because he's a friend of mine, but it's Dr. Will, I think, Bullschwitz. I always say bullshit. <laughs> That's why he goes by Dr. B because it's a more difficult last name. But that book, I think, is great. so helpful for understanding the microbiome. and. I looked into a lot of the research that he uses in that book, and the American Gut Project did a study around the microbiome and what causes diversity. And while there's a lot of factors that can lead to more diversity or less diversity, the biggest factor was the diversity in plants that somebody's eating. And the number they came up with was 30 different plants a week, and that includes spices. Mm -hmm. And while it can feel daunting, it means... You know, every bean you eat is actually a different plant. So if you eat seven different beans, that's seven different plants. And all the spices, if you put onions and garlic and bay leaves, those all count towards your plants per week. And so it's actually not as hard to do each week as you think. But I know when I first learned about that, 
like most people, I was the kind of person that would go to the store and I would buy seven zucchini instead of buying, you know, two zucchini and two bell peppers and two broccolini and two asparagus. I kind of would just bulk buy certain vegetables and I would get the same vegetables every week. And so when I started learning about that, I really would start to challenge myself to rotate the foods I was eating, even if it was in small portions. And I actually think the bean protocol was really helpful for that. Because while it is in certain ways restrictive, I feel like it actually opened up so much of all these different legumes. And over time, it was so much less restrictive than a low FODMAP diet, like so much less restrictive than other ways of eating because I could eat freely without pain or discomfort. I could digest my food. I, you know, it, and that felt so freeing where when I first learned about it, my biggest concern was that it was restrictive. But in reality, I found this totally new level of food freedom because I could tolerate so many more foods. And I think it's been incredibly healing to my gut over time because I've actively challenged myself to eat a much greater diversity of food. And I think the soluble fiber, when I look back, I ate almost no soluble fiber ever for years. You know, maybe maybe a gram or two in black seeds or oats maybe in an apple, but even still, all those foods would make my stomach hurt sometimes. So I didn't eat this food regularly. So the amount of soluble fiber I had was so low for so long. That alone is is so detrimental to the microbiome and gut health. Absolutely agreed. And to to talk about fiber field for a minute, I remember reading that book on the beach with my little highlighter going, yes. And And one of the things I like about Dr. B's approach is that He's not in there demonizing food. He's actually bringing to light all of these foods that are being demonized, that they're actually not bad. You may not be able to tolerate them right now, but they're not innately bad, you know, like gluten. He's a gluten lover. He likes sourdough bread, right? And it's like we have this world that is kind of this health world that is really torn apart. And you have the people who are like, bad, bad, bad. And then you have these other people who are being like, well, actually not bad. And I I appreciate that he's not a fear monger. I really have come to really dislike the people who fear monger because I think there's so many people out there that are already afraid. And then you're just kind of taking advantage of that innate fear of not understanding your body and not understanding the foods to eat. So to fear monger, I feel like is such a cheap way versus, hey, my body doesn't do well with this because I'm sensitive to X, Y, or Z, but that doesn't mean it's innately a bad food for everybody, right? Versus these people out there who are like, it's bad for everyone and nobody should eat it. And I'm just like, no. It's so detrimental to for so many people who do have certain chronic symptoms. And so the fear can already be so innate because when you're living, like as we both know, with symptoms where you're nauseated and it feels scary to eat because you're in pain and you don't know what you're going to be able to eat without pain. I think the people out there who do fear monger can be so damaging because we're already so sensitive and so worried about what to eat and so hyper-focused on food and how it's going to impact us on a day-to-day basis. You know, I remember thinking, you know, feeling anxiety when I knew I'd have an event in the evening, just thinking, what should I eat all day so my stomach doesn't hurt tonight? And I also just want to agree, I appreciate that Dr. B's approach is not fear-based and that even just that mindset of my body might not love this right now. I think that mindset made it so much easier for me as I kind of 
you know, I used to have a lot of food intolerances. They pretty much all went away. And then after I had COVID, some of them seemed to come back. And so that was a sort of stressful feeling. But being able to just say, you know, this my body isn't loving this right now. It doesn't mean I can't eat beans or I can't eat avocado. It's just my body's not loving this right now. And, you know, five months later, I'm able to eat those foods without a problem again. And so I think just having that gentle, self-compassionate approach of things change, you know, hormones change, life change, stress changes, and our bodies kind of are going to go in and out sometimes on like what foods are going to be the most agreeable and having that really open-minded mindset of, yeah, maybe this isn't the best for me right now. We'll try again later. Yeah. I, I mostly tell my clients to put things on a later list, not a good or bad list, but a later list. It's like as you're, as the inflammation, so COVID, right? It, it, it all hits people differently for some people major migraines and headaches, more neurological for other people. It's more gut. I have definitely had COVID like four times and it never went to my gut. And I was like, oh shit, like, you know, having Crohn's disease. I always thought like I had friends and family check in and be like, is your gut okay? And I'm like, yeah, it is. I more than anything had like joint pain and I was like, the fuck? What a testament to healing. Right. And so, and I also like you had this laundry list of food sensitivities of foods that I couldn't eat. I was even going to a specialist and they had made me this dropper of major, the major food groups that I was allergic to that I would do drops, little drops of to kind of build up tolerance to these, these foods so I could eat them. And to be here now and to not have all of these food sensitivities. And genetically, I have high histamine markers. When I did my little consult with the doctor, he was like, you don't have any histamine? I'm like, well, you know, it's interesting. Now that you say it, after COVID, I noticed that I was heat sensitive again. If I was in hot showers again, I would get little hot hives, little heat hives. And I was like, that's so weird. And it was after COVID. So there is some part of COVID that like instigates a histamine. If you have histamine, I feel like it kind of, it's like, hey, come out to play. <laughs> like, no, I love hot showers. Go away. This sucks. <laughs> I've heard it called the great unearther. And the person who said that is a really wonderful naturopathic doctor who's quite the expert in histamine for anyone who's curious. But Paul Anderson has talked about that. But when he talks about long COVID, he talks about it as a great unearther. So if there is something lingering in your body, a virus, maybe some sort of imbalance, gut dysbiosis, something going on, maybe that you've healed, but not maybe a hundred percent. Sometimes that thing will stir back up. And so that's just one of the many theories of what's happening in long COVID. But a lot of times for people, it is something familiar. And sometimes like for you, I think that's a sign of like the gut has healed so much that just that little bit of inflammation says, oh, there's a little inflammation in my joints, but that's just the the system in your body that showed the inflammation, which honestly is a sign of resiliency to me. I was like, joints, no, no, it's joints. <laughs> you know, it's like you suddenly, like overnight, I felt 100 years old. I was like, oh, joints hurt. This is not fun. Oh, I definitely have COVID. Tested, yep, COVID. But it is interesting too, because it's, viruses never leave our body, right? So if you have this thing come through and your immune system is lowered, and what I found is, and I don't know if you've seen this as well, but most of my clients, when they get COVID, stop eating protein. And I'm like, no, bad direction opposite direction. Eat more protein more often. You need to support the immune system kicking this some ass. Like you need to, you need, you need a super powered, you know, immune system. And they'll be like, 
what? And and I'll be like, yeah, I know you're not going to be hungry because that's kind of the COVID thing. And if anything, you're going to crave sugar, which, by the way, helps out COVID. So don't give in to the craving and actually eat protein throughout the day. And usually I can help somebody who's had long COVID get over it by having them up their protein throughout the day. And each time I got COVID, I did that where I was like, okay, chicken soup all day long, multiple bowls of chicken soup just to keep getting the hot liquids in and then the protein. Have you played with this protein theory of of, of COVID? And- yes. And it was because of you reminding me of it. But for <laughs> me, the last symptom that was remaining for long COVID was this fatigue. And it just felt like this whole body, hot, achy, kind of brain foggy fatigue. Like it wasn't just a feel kind of sleepy today. Like to me, that can be a normal fatigue depending on how much you've exerted yourself. It was just like, it was like a groggy fatigue for anyone who's ever taken a sleep aid. It was like I'd been given it and been drugged and the next day I was hungover in some sense. That was how the fatigue felt. And so I tried a lot of different things for it, but I did feel like really consciously increasing protein was very helpful, like very helpful. And it wasn't always the amount, like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't eating my body weight in protein. I don't think anybody needs to do that. But just consistently, at least with every meal, and then I tried to have one or two protein snacks, it made a huge difference with energy. Like that, that combined with letting myself sleep as much as I could and actually exercising, which I recognize goes against bean protocol because there's so much that Karen talks about around not exercising. But I found intuitively that doing aerobic exercise alleviated a lot of the symptoms I was feeling. And with everything I've read, I think it's just that there was blood flow and oxygen coming to my tissues and that that is what was needed and that that lack of oxygen was the problem. There's the whole theory with long COVID that we have these little tiny microclots that prevent us from getting oxygen where it needs to go. And so for me, just just edging on pushing myself with cardio. I didn't go too hard. I didn't go every day. I have a stationary bike. So sometimes it was just riding it for 15 minutes, nice and slow, three times a day. Sometimes it was pushing myself a little harder. I love to play pickleball with my husband. And so doing things like that, but just forcing my blood flow helped so much eating protein when sleeping. Like I tried a lot of other things. I tried supplements. Some of them helped. Some of them definitely helped, but those three things were, were like the, the foundation where I really saw when I do this. I feel so much better immediately and it lasts. And it, it was this really clear, progressive healing. And by the way, shout out to your partner who supports you taking care of yourself. I see so often clients of mine where their partners are not supportive and they're mad that they're doing a different diet. And I'm always like, can we normalize us taking care of ourselves and our partners loving us for it instead of not? You know, obviously I've, I've, your partner seems like he's really healthy. So <laughs> he is really healthy. And I would say, I don't know that he had any changes from a hundred days strictly on the bean protocol. I think he felt almost exactly the same, but he liked it. He liked and he liked eating that way. He said he felt really good. And I think us eating beans together has been a, a, a mainstay when he, I mean, he, he's very healthy and oh, just generally like extremely healthy lifestyle, but. Yeah, I think for anyone, if you can enroll your partner in joining you for it, even if it's just a month, 
that first month where there's cravings and it feels hard and you have a lot of doubt, just to know there's no chocolate in the house and there's no ice cream in the freezer <laughs> and you're going to be eating beans with somebody else, it definitely makes it a lot easier. And it's okay if you do have a partner who doesn't want to join you in it. Like when I was sick, obviously very sick and on a very different protocol, but nobody in the family ate it except for me, which by the way, was extremely hard because I was an addict. I was a sugar addict. I loved food. I was a self-reclaimed foodie. So to sit there and be eating like dry beans and rice was like cardboard and they're sitting down to like taco night and then ice cream. I was just like, I hate my life. You know, but I was the sick one. So I also had to kind of toe the line and show up for myself, which I was also not used to doing. So all of it was very confronting. But, you know, I tell my clients like, okay, yeah, even if your partner doesn't want to do it with you, they can clear sugar out of the house because that's a tough one. And they cannot make you feel bad about it. You know, just like, sure, okay, let's eat different meals and that's okay. Also, again, healing protocol different than longevity plan. Longevity is this 80, 20, 90, 10, this finding. What I like to encourage is find your balance that isn't reversing the healing you've done. So if your balance is putting you back to where you were, then it's not balanced, right? So it's finding the balance of these foods that can elicit adrenaline or imbalance in your gut. If they do, then these should not be your main character, your foundation. These should be little cameo appearances so little that they don't disrupt this incredible work that you've done to to live in a healthy body because if you fix it you can't break it <laughs> many many times my experience is that it is so easy to for those little cameos to just slowly become main characters unconsciously where we're not ever thinking we're going to go off of our protocol but it just creeps in with the littlest bit and then all of a sudden it's like old symptoms are appearing and it feels like it's out of nowhere but i think that's the the hardest part of moderation is keeping cameos to cameos and really being faithful to the things that make us feel good and prioritizing that above all else and do you find it difficult because, well, I'll say what I found difficult. I found it difficult because what I realized is my body is always going to be sensitive. I'm not the person that can do any, whatever I want, when I want and be fine. I'm the person who needs to have a strong foundation that I show up for every day. And these little cameo things can make an appearance, but if they make more than an appearance, then I can start to feel the shift in my energy. So for me, it's it's easier to not consider those foods part of my diet. They're just not because it's too easy for me to slip back. Not at this point, but in the beginning, like in the first five years, it was easy for me to slip back into habits that didn't suit me. Like, oh, I'll have a little bit of caffeine. Oh, I'll have a little bit more. Okay, I'll have a little. No. Okay, so not. Because <laughs> you just said sickness doesn't happen overnight. It's this little story that's building in the background. And then suddenly it shows up like it happened overnight. It's like I use the example of a rock star. Suddenly we hear this song on the radio and everybody loves it. And this person's star is rising. But usually that person has been working away at it for 10 years. It's the same way with illness. It's just kind of like this undertow happening that you're not really paying attention to until it like blooms. And you're like, oh, shit, what happened? That's definitely a challenge for me. And what I notice is that 
I am healthy enough that I could honestly eat a piece of cake and feel fine. Yeah, like I, I probably wouldn't feel any different. I would not have a stomachache. I wouldn't have any issue. Like it, I'm sensitive. So there's always like a chance I might not feel my best, but I probably would feel fine. And so I think the hardest part for me has been being able to eat things without any real repercussion. For me, it is the the daily regular compounded effect of, oh, like a little coffee. Oh, and then I'll have a little chocolate with it. And then, oh, I'm also suddenly <laughs> having fruit smoothies. And not, not that any of those things once in a while are like bad. Right. But it's just those things start to add up. And then it's like, oh, all of a sudden I'm not sleeping as well. Or my stomach hurts or I have a pimple or, you know, and it's, and again, none of those things are horrible. It's just to me a sign that my body is beginning to be out of balance. Right. I think really grounding in feeling really good because I think it's unfortunate, but so many of us, I mean, even most of my life good wasn't that great. Like it was my feeling good was actually still having a lot of health symptoms, a lot of just those things we all call inconveniences of skin breaking out and being bloated and having PMS and getting headaches and rashes and all these things where that's just part of normal life for most of us. And so I think for me, almost building up a tolerance to just feeling really good and not backsliding has been the the practice I have had to build to really stay the course. Because when I'm presented with a tempting food, there's not like a fear I have. You know, it's not like, oh, if I eat that, all these horrible things are going to happen. I just know that over time they'll build up. Right. If I eat that thing tonight and then, oh, I'll make another exception tomorrow night. And then, oh, suddenly it becomes breakfast. And then, oh, suddenly dessert becomes the norm. Yeah. It's the, I think we're very hedonistic as humans. We're pleasure seekers, right? So when something gives us pleasure and you get that dopamine, you're going back for the hit. And so for me, I've shifted the pleasure into feeling well. So every day I feel well and I get up and I feel great and I'm wagging my tail. I'm like, ooh, that's the hit. That is the, that's the hit. So I've shifted from, things being a treat that are actually not a treat into my health is the treat because I feel so good. And like you, I feel better than I ever have. So I don't really want to mess with that. And it's easy for me too, because I do tend to have a slightly, I'm, I'm habit driven. I'm a habit driven person. So if something makes it into my habit, that's not good for me. I'll keep doing it because it just becomes part of the habit. So for me, controlling my habits allows me to control my well-being and noticing the habits that are not beneficial. Like I'm a person who loves HIIT workouts. I'm just going to say it. Karen was like, you need no more HIIT workouts ever for you. And I was like, okay, well, I am definitely your understudy. I definitely like love the being protocol, everything being protocol, but I love me a workout. I sit on my rump all day and if I don't do something, if I don't schedule time to lift weights or do something, then it's just not going to happen. And at 47, my bones are just going to disintegrate inside of my body. So I need to do stuff. And I love working out. And I see that in my clients where I'm like, yes, while you're healing this deep imbalance, sometimes working out can contribute to the overall inflammation and not great. So we need to be conscious of this. And there's so many different applications. But for most of my clients, I'm like, yes, as you get better, 
let's look at how workouts can kind of work into that because otherwise the only thing on my human body that's going to be in shape are going to be my hands from typing all day. But with that said, I'm saying all this because my greatest temptation right now is hit workouts. All I want to do is be like, yeah. And you know, my problem is also is when I get into that hit workout, I'm going to go balls to the wall. That's my personality. So for me, I really have to put the bumpers on because I notice that if I start rotating in more hit workouts than weight training, that I feel the imbalance. I feel the shift. And because I'm so used to feeling good, when I start to feel this light shift, that's the moment where I go, not worth it. Not worth it. Yes, I love it. Yes, I'm a sucker for this kind of punishment, but I'm just going to chill the fuck out. And then I force myself to get blood work and I'll see my inflammatory markers up, which naturally happen when we work out. And usually they go back down again. But for someone with an autoimmune disorder, not a great idea to have these major elevated inflammation markers, right? So that is my medicine. My constant medicine isn't sugar. It's not caffeine. I don't give a shit about alcohol. But man, those hit workouts. <laughs> I love that your greatest temptation is exercise. <laughs> However, I will just say that for me, the over-exercise or the, the tendency to push myself with exercise was something I had to confront. And when I first started the protocol, I absolutely disregarded the advice to rest. And I really was pushing myself when I did not have the energy or the bandwidth to be exercising. And honestly, when I think I'm, when I felt probably like the, just like the most unwell in my life, it's when I was just adrenaline out of my mind, pushing myself to do these really intense exercise workouts like five or six days a week. And so I feel like a lot of healing has actually come from the protocol of letting myself rest. Because mm -hmm. I think so many people who end up with health conditions, kind of like we both relate to imbalances, it's related to that adrenaline. And so we are addicted to the endorphins. And I still love to exercise too. And, and I still think it's healthy. Like, I think it's rare that someone will be on the couch all day, every day, and then suddenly say, I'm great. Let's go work out. Like, I think we do need to move our bodies. But one of the things I really learned with being protocol was to give myself gentle movement. That yeah. yes, blood flow is good. Moving my lymph is good. But that I could do that by, I'd really find like hiking in the woods great. And instead of going as fast as I could, I just let myself walk and trust that 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 forward momentum, the gravity, like that's good for my bones, that's good for my limbs. And it's more balancing to my adrenal system because being in the greenery is balancing to our stress hormones compared to being in a hit workout class with fluorescent lights and blasting sound. So finding that balance and over time, I've definitely had more resilience. Like I still love weightlifting, but I try to keep it to 30 or 40 minutes, not 60 minutes, 60s a week. You know, I used to overdo it so hard and now I'm just, let's just go twice a week. Let's like build my bones. Let's keep my muscles strong. Let's make sure I have bone density into my old age, but let's hike. Let's like get some cardio. Let's have fun. Let's see what I can do with my body. And so giving myself to when I was not feeling well, when I was in that like scare of thyroid numbers were abnormal. To just let myself have these where I just rested felt so terrifying and also so healing. And 
a lot of times on those days, I still would try to move, but it would be, I'm going to walk around the block and I'm just going to go outside. I'm going to do a little movement and that's it. And just let myself like slow down. And I think there's like one theme to how the bean protocol helped me and helps other people. It's that it has a slow down. Yes. Parasympathetic. It's par- I didn't, on the bean protocol early days healing, I didn't work out for years. Like, I didn't. It was so much medicine in it because I think part of the overworker, person who wants to overwork out, also has not body dysmorphia, but is trying to maintain a certain image, right? And chasing endorphins, but also really trying to like maintain this ideal of what the body should look like or whatever. I know that was me. So to not work out was such important medicine, not just for my adrenals, for my nervous system, but for the part of it that needed to face that it was driven by insecurity. It was driven by, you know, I have to like push and push and push. And now my workouts are hiking. So if you're ever in LA and you want to go for a hike, hit me up. Weight training and the very occasional hit. I did a little hit here and there. Yeah. And that's really what research shows is the most beneficial though. It's that daily steady movement, getting resistance training and once in a while going all out. So I actually think that is the healthiest way to rotate exercise. So I've heard that like a really great car you should take out and go really fast in once in a while. You know, you want to really rev that engine. So that's kind of how I see it. I'm like, every now and then I just have to run the horse, you know, just run the horse. You get to treat yourself with some (laughs) hardcore exercise once in a while. And then leave there and just be like, yes. (laughs) But okay, so where can people find you and what do you specialize in? Like, what is your specialty? Okay, so I am a naturopathic doctor and I really work with anyone who wants to come to see me. And I will say for anyone who does work with me right now, now you understand why I talk so much about psyllium husk and beans. I'm sure I have some patients who are like, ah, that's why she got me on the fiber. Like, what was she talking about? So now you know why. And I just usually slip it into the nutrition plan. We talk about fiber, but I don't talk about the bean protocol with most patients unless they ask. (laughs) But so I really, I really work with, with people who want to heal and the places where I have the most expertise is usually working with people with ADHD and anxiety disorders and all the things that are related to that. So usually what I find is there's hormonal issues like PMS, PMDD, endometriosis, gut issues like reflux and IBS and, you know, difficulty sleeping, a lot of stress. Like those are the people who come to see me the most often. But I definitely am a certified nutrition specialist, so I work a lot with people on their food, always doing a food-first approach. So people come for all sorts of reasons, but if you follow me on Instagram, like those are the things I talk about ADHD and anxiety the most. So on all social platforms, you can find me at Dr. Laura Gouge, so D-R Laura Gouge, G-O-U-G-E. I'm pretty active on Instagram. If you DM me, I will probably respond, so feel free to reach out. That's my website as well. So I'd be happy to hear from people after this. Amazing. You, and, and she is amazing and wonderful. And I look forward to our continued conversations. And thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom, your experience with the Bean Protocol. And definitely go find her on Instagram. Thank you for having me, Unique. Oh, it's my pleasure.
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Laura Gouge, and I hope it is supportive, inspiring for you along your healing path. Have a wonderful morning, night, wherever you are in this beautiful world.